You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. Hi, church. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good to see you guys. I'm ready to continue in our worship time through the Word. If you would open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We'll be in Matthew chapter 4. This is the beginning of a new series. This new series for us will last three weeks. Uh, It is not meant to only last three weeks. The teaching through this will be three weeks long. What we want this to be is the beginning of a life change in our church and in you as individuals as it's begun in us, as we've been seeking to know what the Lord wants us to do specifically as we live out the mission of glorifying God and making disciples. We know that every church needs to be doing those things as the mission, but there's more to it than just the mission, although the mission is the outgoing of what God is doing in us and through us. And so we're going to talk about that mission today a little bit, a lot more next week. But this week we're going to talk about making change in a way of how it would look for us as a church, how it would look for us as individuals if we were to actually live the life the way that Jesus has shown us. Not only spoken, but also not speaking and the way he has demonstrated for us. We're going to learn what it means, starting now and continuing on, what it means to be practicing the way of Jesus walking with him in his presence, being conformed to his image, and then living a life on the mission that he has called us to as he has recommissioned us in our work and in our lives once he saved us. So I hope you'll join with me right now in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage uh, in just a moment, starting in verse 18. Uh, Let me just say this as we get going, because I, I think some of us could just easily fall into things today and not be aware of where we're headed. I want you to understand where we're going. I want you to see things a little bit more clearly as we begin to walk. I think it helps us. We need to see the need that we have. Uh, Let me back up by saying that many of us this week have been participating in our church-wide week of prayer and fasting. And so I'm not sure if you were able to fast. I'm not sure if you were able to spend a lot of extra time in prayer. But I know as a church, we've been working on that. I've heard stories of folks who have been. I've heard stories of life change through this week. That is not surprising. For when we try to seek and understand God's presence within us, his presence here with us, and let me say this, he is present in us right now. He is in our midst right now in a real manifest way. This is not some type of just religious thing we do. This is God living in us and with us. And as we seek that, and as we are recognizing that, we begin to revel in it and enjoy him in a way that that begins to supersede all other things. If you spent some time in fasting, maybe you began to experience that as we fasted away from food to say, Lord, we want more of you than we want more of food. If we want more time with you than we want spent eating things. We, we want more of you in our church. We want to understand where you want to take us. And we as a church, some of you have been knowingly participating in this since I arrived here about a year and a half ago. We've been seeking the will of the Lord. We've been asking you to give input. We've been talking to you and having conversations. We've done surveys. We've, we've asked all kinds of questions to see what God has put together in us and what he is doing amongst us and what he has put in our hearts as passions and what the local needs are around us so that we can find what exactly he wants us to do as the church. And today I want to present to you what I believe is a part of, and we'll flesh it out further next week, what's a part of what he is leading us to do. Not because he started it since I got here or since this week, but since he has been doing this from 120 years ago until now as he planted this church 120 years ago. 
This is a continuation of the story of God using the church of 12th Street to be able to reach his community and make disciples for his glory. And we're going to take this one step further. But I think that many of us in here are aware of the discrepancy between what it looks like in our lives and what we read on the pages of Scripture when we see what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We, we understand, and I mentioned it last week, we understand that we're supposed to know Him and be with Him and talk with Him and pray with Him and listen to Him. We understand that it means we're supposed to gather in community. We understand what it means we're supposed to share Jesus with other people. But for many of us, even though we don't want it to be so, it ends up that it, it becomes a rote religious practice for us without experiencing much change in that or experiencing much of the joy of being in an actual relationship with God himself. So today I want to lead us through a very small passage that would show us how it can be that way for us. Church, it's time for us to make some major changes in our lives, in our life as a church, in our lives as individuals. There's a guy named Mark Sayers. Um, some might call him the, the young Tim Keller. Uh, he's a really smart dude. When you listen to him, you just feel stupid. You ever do that around somebody when they talk? You just feel like an idiot? Yeah? So when I listen to him, it kind of overwhelms me in that way. But he gave something one time that really struck me. He said there's three key waves that he's noticed in history, three key waves to spiritual renewal. Whenever there's a revival, whenever there's a renewal in a, in a place, in a people that are searching after God, that are seeking to be like Jesus. These are the three components. I want you to listen to them. You don't have to write them down. They'll make sense. Just listen to these three key waves to spiritual renewal. The first he listed was a holy discontent with the culture. A holy discontent with the culture. doesn't mean you being mad because things are becoming liberal, if you're a, a conservative politically. It means do you sense in yourself as you read Scripture and you look around that everything around you is not loving Jesus, that everyone around you is not following the Lord? Is there a holy discontent within you, a, a sanctified desire in your heart to see the culture around you love the Lord? Okay, so first, a holy discontent with the culture. Secondly, is a holy discontent, listen, with the state of the church. A holy discontent with the state of the church. The Lord has been pressing this into my heart for over a decade now, and I feel the weight of it even today. The church does not, in so many ways, look that much different in our daily lives than others who do not know Jesus, which begs to consider the possibility that maybe there are people in our midst that think that they are Christians, but on that last day, Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. This breaks my heart. I'm not satisfied with this. We should not be satisfied if this is how we might be, if this might be one of us. It should work in us to make us discontent with these things. So holy discontent with the culture and with the state of the church. And lastly, and I think this is the one that we often struggle with the most, a holy discontent with your own heart. A holy discontent with your own heart. You need all three of these. I believe he's right. That's what you see in the history, the history of the world. Before there's a revival in the land, you need these three things. A discontent with the culture, a discontent with the state of the church and where it is, and a holy discontent with your own heart. If 
you run into someone who is broken over their sin on a regular basis, and they are humbled by their inability to live like Jesus, yet they love Jesus, what seems like more than you might really feel like is real, that's the place we need to be if we want to see real change happen in us and in our community and in the world for the sake of Jesus. We've been talking about that in so many ways for the last few months, but today I want to give you a pathway forward to become this type of person, to find this type of place. So I think it's time, brothers and sisters, for us to make some changes and to become followers of Jesus in a more real, all-encompassing way, to actually begin practicing the way of Jesus and not just learn a few things about Jesus. So let's look at Scripture. Let's look at Scripture. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It's a simple text. Let me give you a little background. Jesus, right before this, the beginning of this chapter, as it's recorded, Jesus went into the desert. He had fasted, much like many of us have been doing. He had fasted for 40 days, not that long for us, 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry, it says. He was tempted. He overcame temptation by relying on his Father and by walking with him and keeping his focus. I don't think Jesus was weak there. I think Jesus was invigorated and strong spiritually after spending that much time with the Father. That's why he's able to be not tempted at all. No, he's, he's, he's God. He's also human. But he was reliant upon the Father, walking with the Father, in the presence of the Father by the Spirit. And then we see after that he begins his ministry. Note in verse 17 real quick. From that time on, after he came out of the, the desert, it says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. That's his message. Turn from your ways. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the message of the gospel. And the truth about what Jesus does later, that's the message of the gospel. Repent, turn, change. In verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, listen, this is the text, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let me pray for us before we go further. Lord, I ask this morning that you would work in us to understand who you are. But Lord, do not let us stop there. To understand who you are so that we may know you are with us, we may love you rightly and walk in your presence and be changed from this day forward in a way that makes much of the glorious person who is your son, Jesus. Lord, we ask for your ability in this because we need you. But we have tried over and over again to change. We've tried over and over again to live out these ways. But Lord, we do not know how without your leading us. And we do not have the power without your working in us. We do not have the desire even without you placing it in us by revealing your greatness and your glory and your beauty and your love for us in Jesus. So Lord, please bless us in this way this morning as we seek to know you and be with you. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at verse 19. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers 
of men. Hold that text right there on the screen, and let's just think about it for a second, all right? I'm going to be talking to you about three words now, and you're going to hear them over and over and over again in the future. These three words that I want you to hear today that I want us to begin to think on and press into as we begin to practice the way of Jesus are the three words I've already mentioned. I want you to practice on these words, presence, formation, and mission. Look at this text with me right now. And he said to them, follow me. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but the idea is come be with me. Be with me. Be in my presence. Be with me now, every day. Walk with me every day. And immediately they left and went with him and were with him until his death and then after his resurrection until his ascension. And then we see, and I will make you. Jesus will form us. Formation. He will form us. Sanctification is a process where he works in us and we work to fight our sin. It will be a process, but presence and formation. And I will make you fishers of men. That's exactly what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. And we will be on the mission that he came to fulfill and that we now carry out as his church. So we need to practice being in his presence, work towards being formed into the image of Christ as he works in us and be on the mission of Jesus. In other words, to be with God, to become like Jesus, and to then do what Jesus did. That's what we're going to focus on from now until the Lord gives us different thoughts and directions. This is it. Let's unpack this together. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, here we go. Matthew 4, 19. One more time. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Being with Jesus. Presence. A word used in the Bible. Abiding in Jesus. Listen, when you follow someone... You set aside your right to choose the path. Do you understand that? When you say, I'm going to follow that person, you set aside your right to choose the path. People, we have been bought with the precious blood of Christ if we put our hope and faith in him. We have been regenerated. We are new people. It is no longer up to us. What we do is up to the Lord. And how in the world can we do anything that he wants us to do if we are not understanding who he is, but also listening to him and being nudged by his Holy Spirit and recognizing his directional pushes in us? It is not up to us to choose the path anymore. It is up to him to direct our path. We are followers. We are not leaders when it comes to this relationship. We gave up our right to choose the path. In fact, the Greek word for follow here, this is, a, this is, this is really pretty amazing, okay? This is where our, our English fails, and we need to look into the text sometimes a little deeper. The Greek word for follow here in Matthew 4.19, Matthew 4.19 has the same root as the word that Jesus uses when he raises Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11, okay? So I want you to hear what happens when he raises Lazarus from the dead and how it's translated there. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said on the, this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I use this text often in funerals, unless the family wants something different, because I believe this truth. He said the name Lazarus, because if he had not, his command to come out would have been adhered to by every dead person in the graves. And he said, Lazarus, come out. In fact, the Greek words for come out actually have more of a connotation of an imperative or a command, and they come across more like this. Here, outside, 
That's the idea. Here, now. Lazarus, here, now. This is the same word used in Matthew 4. It's demanding. It's powerful. It's the Son of God calling forth life out of death. Here, now, after me. In fact, this emphatic idea in Matthew 4.19, when Jesus commands the disciples to follow him, it's actually him saying, because the Greek says, come after, he's saying, come after me. Like now, it's emphatic, it's a declarative. He's demanding that from us. And Jesus' call demands our urgency. Look at the text again, look at verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. In verse 22, when he went to the other brothers, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It is not up to us to determine the path. It is not up to us to determine the time frames. When he says, go, we go. When he says, come after me, we go after him. When he says, I'm over here, you go over there. We listen to him. And yet we are so filled with so many things in this life, and we do not take ourselves away from them that we are cluttered, and we cannot even listen sometimes or recognize the voice of our Savior who died for us, who we say is everything for us. When God called us out of darkness into the light, he called us with great power. He awakened our souls from death to life with a word, with a word. And he called you by name. Every one of you that loves Jesus right now, it's because he worked in you. He called you out by name. It was a transformative moment. And your soul awakened by the effectual calling of Jesus. And he responded immediately to that call because the creator and sustainer of the universe called your name. And he said, come here. Now. Come after me. Now. That call is not only powerful, it not only demands our urgency, but that call is also relational. It's relational. It's not just come follow me and do some things. It's come to me. Come be with me. Come be in my presence. Come be, come be with me and be changed so I can enjoy you, be with you forever. This has been the call since the foundation of the beginning of the earth. Jesus calls you out to follow him because he wants you to be with him. Listen, in the garden, what did it say that God did with the people in the garden, Adam and Eve? He walked among them. He was in their presence. We know that again because when they fell out of relationship with him because they chose to rebel against him, he said he walked in the garden looking for them, and he said, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Right? Because he had been with them. We see it again in Leviticus 26, 12, after things are beginning to take a path where God's trying to restore everything. And of course, he's the major actor in this, not us, right? As he's seeking us out, he says, I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Presence with him. It continues on into the very end in Revelation 21, 1 through 3. We see this. I've said it many times. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. This is what we had to look forward to. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. 
It's always been, it will always be about being with him. Our mission is to bring other people to be with him, abiding in him. John 15, in this text, there are at least 10 times the word abide is used in John 15, 1 through 11. This word abide means to remain or stay with him. Listen to this as we listen to it. John 15, 1 through 11. It's kind of long. Just hang on and listen. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. It's a scary thought. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. That's where it means that we will suffer. Because he loves us. And he wants us to be shaped into the image of Christ. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Listen, for abide in me, stay with me, remain with me, come with me, walk with me. Let me be in your presence, you be in my presence. And I, he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We've heard this over and over again, but we don't know what to do with this. We're going to help with that. We've got a plan. Scriptures are clear on some things. We've just missed it. Verse 5, I am the vine, he says, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Why do we think that our efforts are so futile and so without fruit sometimes? Maybe it's because we're not abiding in the Lord. Maybe we're not with him, resting in him, relying upon him, enjoying him listening to him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Wow, that's amazing. That you prove to be his disciples by abiding in him and bearing much fruit. You can do nothing without him. As the Father has loved me, he says, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Why are we seeking in other places, church? Why are we seeking fulfillment and satisfaction and joy in other things that cannot? Let us find it in him. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So how do you even recognize God's presence, right? How do you recognize his working in you? How do you become aware of that presence in a way that you're able to then follow him and be with him and, and, and recognize it and enjoy him? How, how do you do that? Those are really tough questions. How do you remain in that presence? Here's some, some keys we're going to talk about today, but more of it's going to come down the line. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this, do not quench the spirit. Isn't that a weird phrase? The all-powerful spirit, do not quench the spirit. How in the world do we do that? Well, that's why we look to other scriptures, Ephesians 4.30. And do not grieve, listen, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve him. You quench him by grieving the Holy Spirit. You stop his workflow in your life by grieving him. Okay, so how do you grieve him? I, I love the Isaiah 63 passage in verse 10. It says, but they rebelled... But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. When you rebel from walking in his presence, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. When you grieve 
the Holy Spirit, you quench the Holy Spirit. When you quench the Holy Spirit, you are not walking as if you are recognizing and reveling in the presence of the one who gave everything for you so you could be with him forever and give you your ultimate joy. How would it change our lives if we just learn how to abide in the presence of God just as he abides in us? Being fully present with him, fully aware of him, sensing every nudge of the Holy Spirit, hearing every whisper of grace. How would it change us? And how would it change our relationships with others, not just with the Lord? If we were fully present in their midst, bringing our respect and our relationship and our adoration for the Father in with us as he's actually present in the room with us and them, how would it change those relationships if we were present in that way? Remember Mark Sayers said the three waves that we see the key waves of spiritual renewal. He talked about a holy discontent, the holy discontent with the culture, a holy discontent with the state of the church, and a holy discontent with our own hearts. Are you tired of status quo? Are you sick of being the way you've always been even though you know you should do differently? Are you ready to live the way of Jesus in a more real, life-changing way than you might ever have experienced since you became a believer in Christ? Starting this year, we're going to embark on a journey together. That was an exclamation. (laughs) Starting this year, we're going to embark on a journey together to not only learn some things about God and his word, but to actually begin practicing the way of Jesus. Listen to what this guy, John Mark Comer, says about that. He says, our primary goal as followers of Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of connection to the Spirit. This is how we are able to be with Jesus. We must invite him into every moment and learn to always be in two places at once. You hear that? We're in two places at once, at home and with Jesus, at work and with Jesus, on your commute and with Jesus. Bring his presence into the routine of your daily life. But how do we accomplish that in the chaos of our ever-busy digital world? It's pretty straightforward. To experience the life of Jesus, we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And we are going to work at leading you how to do that from here forward. We will have workshops. We will have retreats. We will have teachings. We will have preaching. But most of all, we're going to do life together with one another because we need those things to make it happen. Because it's about being together with one another and with him. You can't just learn some things. You've got to do it. You've got to practice it together. You've got to be willing to make some sacrifices. When you follow somebody, it means you left something else. These guys got out of their fishing boats and left. They left their dad. They left their occupation even. It means you're going to have to make some sacrifices. But let me tell you, it is worth it to be in the presence of the Lord and to be changed by him and to love him more every day and recognize his presence in you. You talk about an adventure, a journey you thought you could never have, you only see in fairy tales. People, this could be the beginning for you. It began when you became a believer, but somehow or another it got just covered up with junk and with this discontent just washed away. And now today can be a refreshing start to it once again. Look, he says, follow me. And then he says, I will make you, right? That's the next part. I will make you. That's the formation part. Listen, Spurgeon says this. He says about this passage, it's not follow me because of what you are already. It's not follow me because you make something of yourselves, but follow me because of what I will make you, Jesus says. 
When God calls you into this new life, it changes everything. He changes your mind. He changes your heart. He changes your desires. He changes your behaviors. He changes everything. Listen to Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is why it all works to the good, no matter what you go through. Here it is, if you're a believer. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, here's the reason, to be conformed to the image of Jesus, of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, to bring us into a family, to bring us into a family, to conform us to that image, to transform us, to form us differently. Listen, God has loved you from before the foundations of the earth, before they were laid, and he determined from the beginning to love you so much that he would not allow you to stay just like you are. He will change you if you are his. He will do that because he loves you and he wants you to grow into the person he meant you to be, just like the image of Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, you've heard these words before, listen closely here. I will sprinkle clean water on you. He's talking to Israel. We've been grafted into that family tree now, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He will do those things. Glory to the Lord that he loves us and can overcome the things we cannot overcome. He is that powerful. He is the sovereign of the universe. And he loves you so much that he will not leave you where you are. He will work in you. He will change you. And you won't like some of it, but you'll like the result as you understand him and walk with him and love him even more. In God's presence in you always comes with the power to change you. Always. Always does. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Listen to this. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. There's a part we have to do, too. Sanctification is a dual thing. It's him working in us, and then we follow him. That's the following part, and he makes us, and we follow, and he makes us. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do you hear that? In here, raising our hands is a part of worship, but the true worship is our sacrificing ourselves for the sake of the kingdom. Sacrificing. Presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice. Give up what brings you away from the Lord. Stop doing what draws your heart away from the Lord. Stop participating in things that makes you not follow the Lord. If it's not pleasing to him and draws you in relation to him, stop those things. He says, do not be conformed to this world Listen, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me say it like this. The way that you choose, the path, the way that you choose will determine the God you worship. Conform to the world or transform as you lean into Jesus. The way that you choose will determine the God you worship. False gods, yourself, false gods that you make idols out of things, or the true God, if you follow the way of Jesus. J.C. Ryle, one of my favorite old dead guys, if you haven't read him, you need to start reading him. I've said his name enough. Buy buy one of his books, doesn't matter which. In one of his books, he says this really uh, alarming thing. Listen to this. Let us learn from our Lord's caution about worldliness 
what immense need we all have to watch and pray against an earthly spirit, what are the vast majority of professing Christians around us doing? They are laying up treasures on earth. There can be no mistake about it. Their tastes, their ways, their habits, they tell a, fe a fearful tale. They are not laying up treasure in heaven. Oh, let us all be aware that we do not sink into hell by paying excessive attention to lawful things. In other words, the things we're allowed to do. Excessive attention. He says, open transgression of God's law, sinning outright, open transgression of God's law slays its thousands. But worldliness, it's tens of thousands. You will not even recognize you wasted your life until it's too late, is what he's saying. And all how we all can slip into that regularly, daily. And let us be aware of the quicksand of intellectualism, as one commentator said. The quicksand of intellectualism. Isn't that good? We are called to know all there is to know about God. And we've spent years in Sunday school doing that. We spent year reading our Bible, years reading our Bible in the mornings or in the evenings, learning about God. But knowledge about God is not enough. Knowing about Him is just part of knowing God. That's a relational term in the Bible, knowing God. To really know Him, we need to be present with Him. We must practice the way of Jesus, to be with Him, follow Him. And He will make us into what we need to be. Listen to Jesus say it Himself. Thomas said to Him in John 14, Lord, we do not know where You are going. How can we know the way? You hear that? How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, we can know and preach orthodoxy and practice orthodoxy, but we must also live it out regularly by being with him. We have to stop being churchgoers and start being apprentices to Jesus. Walking with him, learning from him, becoming like him. 1 John 2, he says, whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth isn't in him. Whoever keeps my word, he says, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Colossians 3 makes it even more clear. Listen, if then you've been raised with Christ, everybody who says they're a believer, that's us. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, and that means every bit of it, falling into lust and thinking on things you shouldn't think about, going to sites you shouldn't be looking at, looking at people too long, engaging in flirtatious behavior, talking to people in a way that you should not talk to anyone but your spouse, uh, referring to women in ways that you would not refer to your mother or your sister except for your wife. These are things that we should not do. That's all sexual immorality. He says, flee these things. Run. That's the only thing the Bible says to run from. Run from sexual immorality. Set your mind on things that are above. Put to death what is in you, earthly. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Evil desire meaning anything that draws you away from God. Draws you away and out of your relationship with Him for those moments. 
It doesn't have to be bad in the culture. It could be evil if it's a good thing, if it draws your heart away from the Lord. To set your heart away from those things, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of all these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, listen church, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Listen to the key. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew. There is not Republican or Democrat. There is not Scythian or slave. There is not uh, Italian people or Rainbow City people. There is, there is not Alabamians or Marylanders. There is not, you know, this country or Americans or there is not uh, Iraqis. And this, if you're a Christian, he says, you are free from all those things. And Christ is all. And he is in all of us. And he is everything for us. We must walk with him. So let us fight our sin. Let us kill the sin that is killing us. Let us strike down the things that will not, will not let us love the Lord. And let us run from those things unto the Lord and be with him in his presence. Let us mortify the flesh. For he is our life. He is our everything we say. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is our life as we walk that with him. 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face. That means that we aren't like Moses who was in God's presence and hid his face from other people not to freak them out, right? He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we get to experience the glory of the Lord in us every day, not just as we go behind the curtain. That curtain's been torn in two as we sang this morning. Today we get to be in his presence. We are being transformed, it says, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You see, sanctification is a gradual process. The Spirit prepares us for eternity one layer at a time because we could not handle it all at once. That's why God hid Moses in the cleft until he walked by to see the back of his glory. It would have destroyed him, he said. I believe God changes us by revealing the fullness of his glory a little bit at a time until we finally step into his presence with the fullness of joy. That's why he says things. Like, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When's the last time you had joy that was inexpressible in the presence of the Lord? I hope it's this week. I hope it's from here forward as we learn how to do that. That's the kind of thing people will see and will clamor for because they will want to know that God. Let us not be squashed down and be ungrowing, but let us obtain the outcome of our faith and the salvation of our souls. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, he says in Philippians. And he will renew our inner self day by day by day, like he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Listen, being in his presence, follow me. Come now, he says. Walk in his presence now, and I will make you. He will form us into fishers of men. And we're going to talk all about this next week, but that means doing what Jesus did, fishing for men. That's the mission, Matthew 28. You know it, right? We're going to hit that next week really hard. But let me just say today, 
you might have been walking in your life as a believer or maybe as one who thought you were a believer for years, but you've never really experienced life in a life-changing way with, with a God who loves you so much he was willing to give his life for you. Today I urge you, I beckon you, just like Jesus was doing through his word, here, come after me, now, follow him today. If it's for the first time, you need to repent of your sins and turn to him and say, Lord, I cannot, but you can. You've already made the way in Jesus. For he died for your sins. He died to defeat Satan. He died to overcome hell. He died to overcome death. And he was successful because he rose in victory. He rose in victory after his death on the cross where he bore our sins in, his, in our place on the cross in his death. And now we can have victory in him. You can have freedom from all those things. And you can walk with the God, be with the God who wants to love you so much that it will change you forever. And he will make you into the person you never thought you could become but you've always hoped you would be. If you will follow him. If you will follow him. So today I say, please, brothers and sisters, let us Follow him. Let us be in his presence. Let us focus on being formed into his image with presence and formation. And then let us be on the mission of Christ. And let us see the world change from this very place outwardly as we go. We need you. It can't just be a few people. It needs to be this church. God didn't just save a few of us in here. He saved this church. And then we are his bride, and he has called us, and it's his path. Let us follow him for his glory and for our joy, and let us see the world turned upside down as his kingdom comes. Let that be our prayer. And let us walk together as we learn how to practice the way of Jesus, becoming apprentices to the Christ. Father, we need you this morning. We are unable to do anything of an by ourselves. We rely completely on you. And Lord, today we need you to move in us, to show us where to cut things out. And Lord, we do not have the power to do so, but you have all powers. You put your powerful Holy Spirit within us. And that word spirit, even, that's where we get our word dynamite, the dunamis, that, that holiness, the power that comes there. Lord, we, you can overcome these things in us so that we might walk in your presence. Lord, we want more of you. Let that be our prayer, that we want you more than other things, and help us to drop things that would hinder that. Help us to put things down, at least for a season, that would show us that we need you more. Lord, we thank you for what you revealed to us over these months, and especially over this week as we fasted and prayed and sought your face so we could be in your presence more. Lord, work in our hearts. Change us today that we would be obedient. And now, Lord, as we sing in a moment, I pray that even as we sing, if there are people here that need you for the first time, that they would repent of sin and they would come to you. Lord, here, right now, as you're calling them. And Lord, if you would, work in their hearts to make that known even today, either now or after this time together. And Lord, for those of us that have already known you, renew us, Lord. Put a holy discontent in our hearts for our own hearts, for the state of our church the state of our culture, that we might pray and seek you earnestly and fervently to be in your presence. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.